0: Have you ever heard of theodicy? You don't have to remember that name, but it is the uh, vindication of God's goodness and justice in the face of present evil and suffering. It's just a highly technical way to try to uh, defend God being good while evil still exists. And so that opens the door for like uh, 3,500 questions. And a lifetime of learning. And so I want to I go through that a bit because it's foundational for your faith. Yes, it is. Until you can understand God in, in spite of this world's calamity, you'll never have enough faith in him to receive consistently. Amen. And so, you know, we've written a whole book on it uh, called God Why. And so I want to, some of you don't know about it and some of you uh, need to hear it again. And so it's part of our foundation here at the church because it goes through scripture and actually answers the question with Bible, not with opinion. Amen. And, and part, of, part of the reason why this is important is because so many have tried to answer that question without the Bible right. wow. or with just half of a scripture in the Bible. Like, well, why did not God just kill the devil? <laughs> Most of you thought about that. Yes. Well, what does the Bible say about it? And so we're going to answer some of these tough questions uh, because the research has been done, you know, of the research uh, group, uh, they've done this research and found that this new generation, the Gen Z people, born from 2000 to about 2015, 16, something like that. So they're somewhere between eight and 23 years old, that they're more highly atheist and agnostic than any other generation. And that's a shame. And so they said there's about 18% are either atheist or agnostic in that generation. And one of the big dilemmas and the big hurdles that they can't get over, uh, they they say that the problem of evil and suffering is a deal breaker. So they struggle to find a compelling argument for the existence of both evil and a good loving God. Like if God was really good and loving, then why is there so much evil? It's a good question. Everybody can ask the question, Uh, but then you got to go search for the answer. Rather than just make up an answer at the, at the, at the barber salon. <laughs> Whatever they call it. God has, uh, a lot of injustice has happened toward God because people just dreamed up answers. And sat around a campfire trying to come up with something. And then it ended up in a pulpit uh, without scripture to back it. And so it's just not fair. And I think, uh, the way I feel is I need to defend God. Now, some say, well, God doesn't need any defending. Well, no, no. The defense of the gospel is part of it. Paul said that. He said, I am called in defense of this gospel. He got put in the court. He's like, I am called in defense of the gospel. So listen up. Here it is. You need to feel that way, that we're here to defend the truth. And, And since I know God... My responsibility is to make sure everybody else knows God. So I have a part to play in this. You have a part to play in this. You've got to learn enough so you can help the next person. So we need some answers so that you're ready with them, so that you're bold and confident in your answer rather than, I don't know the answer to that one. Well, you may not know every answer to everything, but you can know the the core of it, the foundation of it, and have at least a few things to say to help somebody get through their hurdle. We've had a lot of church members that end up at a funeral, not, not the dead one, but visiting a, a funeral, and somebody at the funeral says something wrong about God. Well, God did this for a reason so that And we've had people from church stand up and say, wait a second, no, that's wrong. Listen, everybody, that's wrong. Now, that's a fun day in the life of a believer. When you can stand up and defend God in the face of friends and family and all this sorrow and explain to them that God didn't do this, that was not his ultimate plan. So there, but there's lots of questions that come, so you, you figure one out and the next, the next question opens. And then the next one and the next one, and so we got to go through it, all right? So somebody quoted this, somebody said, if God is all powerful, he cannot be all good. And if he's all good, then he cannot be all powerful. Uh, That was Lex Luthor. He said that in Batman versus Superman. (laughs) But you hear that kind of talk a lot. I mean, you know, you you see it on TV, you see it in movies, you see it on media a lot where they just don't know. They're just saying wrong things about God way too often. Something happens, God's in control. Something else happens, well, God is sovereign. And so they just don't have right answers. They don't have scripture to say. And so they're coming up with human opinion. Listen, you cannot live your life on human opinion. I mean, I appreciate your opinion. I'm glad that you have a choice. And I hope you're smart. I hope you have some wisdom. I want you to develop in intelligence and wisdom. But you cannot develop in intelligence and wisdom without God's word, without understanding God's word. Not just cherry picking a couple things to put in your belt so that you can shoot from the hip. People do it all the time. They shoot from the hip. Wrong scriptures, out of context, said to, not even said to people. <clears throat> um, so I'm going I'm to try to take you through some of this. I don't know how long we'll do this. Maybe, maybe not as long as normal, but I do want to hit the high point so that you understand where God is in the face of suffering. When things go wrong, where's God? Did he cause it? Did he plan it? Did he want it? Or did he not? We know he'll help us. But how come it happened in the first place? We'll answer that. We need to have some real confidence in God. And really having confidence in God begins with knowing his nature and his character. You have to understand him and know him in order to have confidence in him. And so you need some scripture to do that. I can't just, I can't just uh, say he's good. We, we just sang God is good. We just sang that, right? You are good. And we sang it a lot. Are you convinced? Most Christians are convinced he's good until something bad happens to them. So go to Psalm 145, verse 8. We'll answer that God is sovereign. God's in control. Does God test us? Does he punish us? How does he chastise us? What about the devil? What about the devil's interaction with God? We can talk about that. Is suffering God's plan in any way? The answer is no, but we'll talk about that. What about predestination? Is there a death day that God has planned for everybody and you can't do anything about it? The answer is no, and we'll talk about that. What about Job? He suffered. What about Paul's thorn in the flesh? It looked like he didn't get his answer, but that's not true. We'll answer those. Is it God's will to heal? Always, Always. then how come people get sick? When does God answer prayer? How come they prayed and it didn't work? There's answers to that. And the answer is not, well, God didn't want to do it this time. We left it all up to God. He didn't want to this time. Oh no, you can't say that. I can't let you say that. The ushers have locked the doors and you cannot get out of here if you think that. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. What about Ananias and Sapphira and Jezebel and Herod? There's there's some of the tougher questions in the Bible. There's answers for it. There's scriptural answers that fit uh, and and don't mess up the picture of Psalm 145, verse 8. What about hurricanes and earth destruction and tragedies? Is it God punishing ever? Is it ever God? Is a hurricane ever God's punishment? Is a tsunami and a tornado ever God's punishment? Is a drought ever God's punishment? We got to answer it. Okay, Psalm 145, here we go. Let's talk about God. Let's talk about getting some faith in God, understanding him. All right. you, ever been with, you, you ever heard somebody talking about a friend of yours and they, they were saying something wrong? You're like, That's not, they don't do that. That's not them. Amen. What you're describing is not the person I know. That's how we should feel about God. We should know him. Absolutely. So 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. So let's say it again. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. You need faith in that. He is slow to anger and great in mercy. Great in, great in mercy. Slow to anger. The Lord is good to some of you. The Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are over all his works. So if something happened and it didn't have tender mercy on it, it wasn't God. His tender mercies are over all his works. Some works are from the world, some works are from the devil. If it's God's work, it will have tender mercy on it. And sometimes people think, well, yeah, but we don't know what's really good sometimes, you know. Yeah, we do. You know, God does bad things and we don't realize it's really a good thing. No, that's not how it works. That's the false logic that people have used to try to vindicate this whole thing, to try to make themselves feel better. And it's just not true. We know what's good, don't we? Uh, A little child getting a disease is not good. I don't care if they come out of it. I don't care if the whole family gets saved. I don't care if they all start going to church more. Uh, That was not a good thing. He'll turn it around for good. He'll cause some good stuff to come out of anything if we trust him and, and, and stay with him. But he did not cause that. That is not a good tender mercy work. Healing the child is tender mercies. The sickness or causing or the problem is not the tender mercy part. So it wasn't God's work. work. You can apply this to all sorts of things. And I I hate to open the door for all the things, but even birth defects or, or stuff that seemed to be totally out of anybody's control. You know, you can almost, adults who get sick can almost blame it on some think they did or didn't do in their life. But a child, you can't blame anything. A child didn't know. How could a child get a disease? And so how do you explain all this? Well, I I can tell you this, it wasn't God's work. That wasn't his plan. No. The devil's the killer, God's not. The devil's the harmer, God's not. The devil's the troublemaker, the tester, the hardship creator. God is not the troublemaker, the tester, the hardship creator. But doesn't he he put things in our path to make us stronger? No. God does not put stumbling blocks in your path to see if you will keep the faith or get stronger. That's not how it works. He knows you're going to run into these things. He's trying to prepare you ahead of time with his word and with his spirit. God's not teaching people with calamity. Yeah, but I sure learned a big lesson whenever I had to go to prison. I learned my lesson. No, no. That was the penalty for you opening the door to the devil. Your stupid choices put you in prison. God was trying to train you long before. And because you didn't listen or learn or try to, fi- to find God, therefore you ended up falling off the cliff by yourself. And sure, he'll, he'll, he'll answer if you call upon him in the bottom of the prison. Doesn't mean he put you there. You, you see how we've got to disconnect. We've got to disconnect and allow God to be the good one and never the bad one. He's good. He's only good. He's never bad. He's never both. Meaning he, he doesn't flip-flop. He's not bad one day, so he can be good the next day. He put something on you, terrible, so you'd call upon him, and he could answer you. Glory. and you'd give him glory. That almost sounds Spiritual. It's actually detestable. It's an abomination to say that. It is an actual insult to Jesus Christ and God the Father and the whole Bible to say that God put something on you so that you would call upon him. It's an insult. I used to preach like this 20 years ago. And 15 years ago and 10 years ago. Man, we hit it real hard. You know, it's almost like, there, now, now I've solved the problem. Everybody knows the truth now. Well, yeah, the 20 people that were listening to me 20 years ago, it's like a whole other, gen- two generations need to hear the truth again. They're starting the same errors all over again. And we just can't let it happen. We got to get loud. We got to stay right about this. We got to help the world know that God is not in total control of every single thing. It sounds good. It almost sounds spiritual. It's just not Bible. Let me read verse eight again. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies over all his works. Praise the Lord. Wonderful, isn't it? This is in the Old Testament where they got to see God's wrath a whole lot, where they got to see him punish everybody quickly. And it still puts his nature in there. He's always been the same God, he's still the same God. This is him. It was just the fact that without a sin remedy, he had to punish. Jesus is our sin remedy, he paid the sin penalty, so you don't have to be punished. He was punished, so you don't have to be punished. Amen. And so all of these things you've got to put together and realize. And, you know, most of us understand this, and, and we, when we hear it, we get refreshed real quick, and we snap out of any wrong thinking. Uh, you know, we realize in the New Testament, it says we are saved from wrath through Christ. Romans 5, 9. We are saved from wrath. What, what you experience in the earth will never be God's wrath. Old Testament, wrath, 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 anger, anger, anger. New Testament, saved from wrath through Christ. For believers in Christ, you're saved from wrath. Unbelievers are destined for wrath one day. The last day, wrath is coming for them. Make sense? So Christians will go read we're saved from wrath through Christ. And then we'll go read something in the Old Testament about God's wrath, and we'll get double-minded about it. And we'll start feeling like we're getting penalized again. We'll start feeling like we're under the curse of the law. You've Got to be careful of those things. To not devalue the cross of Jesus Christ, the cross changed all this. Yeah. Yeah. The holy blood of the Son of God paid for all of that and changes the whole ball game. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Glory. Turn to Matthew 7 Matthew 7. so um, so here's a way to see it that, it, that it takes us even to another level. So we saw God's nature. He's good. He's gracious. He's slow to anger, great in mercy, tender mercies over all his works. That's him. Then we take it a notch higher. We, we put it into higher gear in the New Testament. And here's how we do it. We do it because God is now our father. Okay? Okay. It was a big deal for Jesus to call God his father. No Jew had ever called God their father. They called Abraham their father. They were on the human level only. They didn't understand God that way. When Jesus, he was the first one to say, God is my father. And they wanted to kill him for it. You need to understand, God being your father, the devil hates it. When Jesus said, I and the father are one, they wanted to kill him because he made himself equal with God. When you call God your father, the devil hates it because it's a game changer. It's a life. Listen, it's a life changer. It takes you from religious into relationship. It takes you from wondering and hoping and wishing and wanting into my heavenly father. Okay, so fatherhood, sonship, changes everything. Takes us another, high, another level higher. Where all of a sudden, the way that I approach God, the way that I trust God, is like a kid trusting their parent. Now, I understand some people don't understand parent-child relationship because their family wasn't all that great, uh, but God is. He's the best earthly parent anybody's ever thought of or seen Ever. Way better than every best earthly parent in the room. Lots of great parents in here. God's 10 times better. A thousand, he's way better. Way better. That changes everything. Because I've never seen a good parent chop their kid's arm off to show them not to touch. I've never seen a good parent throw their child into the, into the traffic to teach them not to play in traffic. It's just ridiculous the things people have come up with. And they wouldn't do it if they understood fatherhood, sonship. No parent would ever harm their child to train them. Never. Even a spanking would never leave a mark. Never. Spanking is not to harm. It's only to alert. Never would any good parent ever harm a child to train them. It doesn't make any sense. And God's way better. He would never harm you to train you. Verse 7, Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? That's right. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? God, will you heal me? No, here's a demon instead. God, will you, will you deliver me? For, no, 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 I'm going to give you something even worse. It's like I remember a story from Jerry Savelle. He said he, uh, uh, when he was a kid, he wasn't, he wasn't even saved, but family went to church, so he knew a little bit about God. And he said he started his uh, high school career in uh, track and field, and he was going to be a pole vaulter. And he said, so before my first pole vault, I asked God to help me break the pole vaulting record of the school. He said, "And my first pole vault, I broke my arm. And he was upset. He said, I asked God to help me break the school record, and he broke my arm. And this is what Jerry Savelle said. He said, that ended my praying for the next 10 years. Okay, so that's just ignorance. Blaming it on God. Not understanding how these things work. You can't blame stuff on God. Heavenly Father wouldn't do that. You ask God for a good thing, he's not going to give you a bad thing. But the bad thing happened. Yeah, but it wasn't from God. Coincidence, turn of events, devil, whatever. But it wasn't God. Because if you ask God for a good thing, he's not going to give you a bad thing. I guess some people eat uh, snakes, so if you ask for a fish, snake be fine. But the point is, you ask for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. <laughs> One of the other gospels says scorpion. Some people like scorpions, I don't know. Verse 11, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven, see that? You, you as a good person on the earth know how to give good things to your kids. How much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Him being father really should erase all of the suffering questions for you. That somehow, even if you don't know the rest of the story, somehow it's not God causing suffering. Somehow, it's not even God allowing suffering. Because as soon as you train a Christian that, yeah, yeah, I admit that God doesn't cause evil and suffering, but he allows it. <laughs> when you do it like that, it insinu- you're still insinuating God had a plan with it. You're still, they're still insinuating out there that somehow God had a purpose to allow this suffering for you. It doesn't work that way. We'll get to that in a minute, but just, but I understand every answer starts a new question that you need answers for. Go to Luke chapter six real quick. Luke chapter six. Verse 35, but love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Now, this should make you infuriated. Like, okay, look up here just for a second. He's kind to the unthankful and the evil? It's like a good kid gets mad because the other kid who's not so good still gets blessed. You ever seen that with kids in a family? The goody-goody is mad because you're still blessing the baddie baddy Every family has good kids and bad kids, and they both get to eat. And they all get school clothes. And they all get toys, even if they've been bad or good. Why? Because parents love children and they take good care of them. And it blesses a parent to bless their unthankful kid. Maybe they're not quite as blessed about it, but they're still blessed. Verse 36, therefore be merciful just as your father also is merciful. It's just highlighting the fact that Sure, it looks like people ought to be enemies, but God's just merciful on everybody. That's why he'll save a sinner no matter how bad they've been. That's why he'll forgive a bad Christian just like that no matter how bad they've been. Hallelujah. And there is an aspect to this where, you know, you're not going to know everything that God's doing behind the scenes and, and how to get you through the, the forest that you're in or the wilderness that you feel like. You never know all the details, so you're going to have to learn how to trust God and know that not every single thing you're going to have an answer for, especially when it doesn't deal with you. Like, you know what's in you and I know what's in me, but you don't know what's in your spouse. I don't know what's in the front row. You know, you have to know some secrets, right? And then even you, you don't always know exactly everything. So you're going to have to put some trust in God and allow him to be God. But that's only for a few things that aren't written in scripture. When it comes to sickness, tragedy, oppression, chaos, conflict, you don't have to have a question where God is on those things, Joy and peace and salvation and healing and deliverance is absolute. You can have it. But there's some other life stuff that we're not so sure about. You have to trust God through it. But I would say 95% of your life is covered by written scripture. Okay? So you shouldn't have any question. When something went wrong, you shouldn't have any question whether God did that or not. This is where people come up with, so, they come up with the sovereign doctrine. God is sovereign. We did it last week a little bit, but let me just redo it. God is sovereign is said like a thousand times. You, you, you turn on Christian television, you'll hear God is sovereign a thousand times a week. Some denominations, 5,000 times a week. Like it's supposed to be a major doctrine for Christians, is it? God is sovereign. Have you ever, how many of you have heard God is sovereign? Raise your hand if you've heard it. Raise your hand if you've heard it too much. (laughs) Do you know where they get that from the Bible? I don't either. It ain't in there. There's no scripture, not one, but they act like it's a major doctrine. You can't have a doctrine unless there's two or three witnesses, much less zero. And I get it. Look, we know God's omnipotent. We know he's omniscient. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. So yes, we know that. But him being all-powerful and all-knowing does not mean he's controlling everything that happens. Well, he could if he wanted to. No, he can't. I'll show you why in just a second. But no, no, he can't just control anything and break rules that he already set for himself. He just can't do that. He's too good and holy and just to break rules. That's why he won't break your free will. So uh, I started this last week. I didn't really finish it, but you know, I started wondering all these years ago. I started wondering why? Why is this doctrine so freely passed so easily? And it turns into a bad thing happens, and people and, and the Christians are like, "God is sovereign." Why did the six-year-old have to die in the car crash? God is sovereign. I mean, just as quick as can be that that just, and you know what it does? It, It helps people be a little bit relieved of the pain to think that God had a reason for their suffering. I've had people tell me this, that the way that they reconciled their cancer was knowing that God had a reason for this and that he's doing something in their life, feeling that God is involved in my life, I can make it through. Hey, look, it it helps relieve some pain and confusion, doesn't it? To think God's involved in everything that went on in my life. He had a plan, therefore, who am I to go against his plan? My friend called it, Novocaine for the soul. Novocaine's a painkiller, isn't that the tooth one? It doesn't fix the problem, it just numbs the pain. And that's what God is sovereign does for so many people. It helps them continue through life uh, with the false belief that God caused everything that happened to me. Okay? I'm not good enough with that, are you? I want the tooth fixed. And so you have to wonder, why did this doctrine start? Well, that's number one. It it helps us get through the questions quicker than learning the Bible. But then I I started reading a couple other translations, and I found the real problem, which are a couple translations that are highly used in denominational churches, uh, which is the New Living Translation, NLT, and the NIV, New International Version. Both of those have taken a, a... a phrase in the Bible that was supposed to be very clear and pure. And they, they put the word sovereign in there. And it, if you, you could go look it up for yourself and it's, there's no way it's supposed to be sovereign. The Lord, I mean, the, the scripture is Lord God, in the old Testament, Lord God. You ever heard that before? Lord God. Yes. And there are 300 times, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. And it's the, the, the words used are Adonai Jehovah which are both two names for the Lord and God, two uh, formal names for God. So Lord God, master is all it was really translated to, and God. Lord God, Lord God, Lord God. They changed it to sovereign sovereign Lord, sovereign Lord, sovereign Lord, sovereign Lord. Well, you look, I'm not splitting hairs over the, the word necessarily, even though it shouldn't be translated that way. If you want to talk about the dictionary version of sovereign, it means a one with the highest authority in a land. But it doesn't mean in control of every single thing that ever went on. It doesn't even imply that, the word from the dictionary. So, But, but by saying sovereign Lord, sovereign Lord, it, it conditions people to think, yep, yep, sovereign Lord, sovereign, he's sovereign. That's the main point about God, he's Sovereign. He is sovereign. He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He's the best. He's the highest. He's everything. But it doesn't mean his plan always comes to pass. Does it? I mean, he created the earth to be a paradise. That didn't didn't work. He created earth to be paradise where humans would only know good. But he gave one command, Adam and Eve blew it. They went against God's perfect plan. And so God had to allow exactly what they asked for. They wanted to know good and evil. He said, don't eat the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They could have every other tree. Don't eat of that one. For that day you will surely die. He expressed what he wanted, what God wanted to happen. His written will, his spoken will, exactly what he wanted was laid out. But it didn't happen. Why didn't it happen? Because God's not the only one in the equation. He's not the only parameter. It takes human cooperation to get God's will to come to pass as it should. So then God had to take the human race around the mountain all the way to the Savior to get back the glory inside of us so that he could finally come back and enter us the way that he wanted. Through one man's sin, disobedience entered, but by one man's obedience, many were made righteous. So so thank God for his plan B, but it doesn't mean plan A was his, well, whatever, you know what I mean. So then then I realized why so many denominations are off. They're they're insinuating something that's not even true. Like uh, this word, sovereign Lord, occurs 294 times in the New Living Translation, 303 in the NIV, zero in most other translations. You can't even find the word sovereign. And when you do, it refers to Lord, Master, or Kingdom, like the King James says, his sovereignty rules over all, but that word really is kingdom. His kingdom rules. Yes, his kingdom rules. Oh, gets me out of breath. Good word. Good word. Yeah. It's hard to fix. It's hard to fix when you got Bible translations that are being read every day. That are not, they're not perfectly accurate. That's why we say, don't use the NIV or the NLT as your main Bible. You can read them and use them because they got some good stuff in them. They say some scriptures that are really kind of highlighted better and interpreted more thoroughly. uh, But you can't use it as your main Bible or it'll mislead you. Or if you do use it as your main Bible, fine, but cross out everything that's wrong. I'm serious. There's scriptures they've eliminated. Write the the right scripture in there. Praise the Lord. Uh, it's like this sovereign thing is like painting your windshield black, driving down the road, and everything you hit, well, that's God's will, sovereign. Everything happens for a reason. <clears throat> uh, well, I just, listen, I believe everything happens for a reason. Do you? I just believe that. I, everything happens for a reason. Where'd you get that from? Just tell me. Go ahead, Google it. Tell me where you got that from. Because it didn't come from the Bible. Facebook. They got it from Facebook. All hell the Facebook. Everything happens for reasons, not a scripture in the Bible, so that's not your main belief. Because when people say it, what they're really referring to is everything happens for a divine reason. Because everything really might happen for a reason, yeah. but it's more cause and effect rather than God got involved. Amen. So you can't use it to insinuate God had a reason. Right. Everything does happen for a reason. Amen. Like you came into church dressed in clothes for a reason. <laughs> you, you, made, you, you scored well on your test because you studied. You failed a test because you didn't study. So there is cause and effect in this life. Sure, there's a reason. There are conditions and there's reasons and results, uh, but it's not because God's divine plan came into view. Does that make sense? It's so easy. Sure, some of us, we got saved because we believed. Other people aren't saved because they didn't believe. Not because of God's sovereignty. Some things happened because you did something dumb, some things happened because you did something disobedient. Other things happened good because you believed, because you obeyed, because you trusted. Uh, I was just gonna quote those. Uh, Let me me tell you um, my my two examples that I always remember real easily. I'm sure I've seen you know 50 of these on television or wherever. In songs, you hear wrong song lyrics, but uh, one that I remember was the show. How many of you remember John Wayne? You, you Gen Zers need to go watch some John Wayne films. <laughs> Pilgrim. <clears throat> but there was a, a film that I heard somebody talking about, so I went and watched the, watched the movie again. Uh, Red River, you've seen Red River? I don't remember the whole story, but I, I know he shot a lot of people. But it was funny because uh, every time he shot a person, John Wayne, you know, he's a good guy, but he's killing the bad guy. So every time he killed a bad guy, he'd, he'd have somebody bury him and, and they'd be standing around the grave and there was somebody ought to read some words at him. And so John Wayne, he would, he would just quote something um, from the Bible that's not even legitimate for, for people. It was say, he, the quote was said by someone who didn't know God. The quote was said one time only in the scripture by a man who didn't understand anything about anything. He was guessing. He was observing what it looked like happened. And never again is the scripture mentioned, so you certainly can't make it a doctrine. But it was way before Christ ever solved the problem for us. Way before Jesus ever put his foot on the devil's head. Way before he gave us his name and his power. And so the scripture is from Job. And it says, The Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. That's the way John Wayne would say it. Uh, <clears throat> and so he would kill it. He would, uh, They bury the fellow and he would say, The Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. <laughs> and, and it showed this a couple times, killed a couple guys. This happened two or three times in the show. And uh, John Wayne's a little sidekick, the little squirrely fella, Uh, he's walking, they're walking away from the graveside. He says, I don't know what's I don't know why you do that. I don't know why you do that. Fill a man full of lead, stick him in the ground, read words at him and bring the Lord in on the job. (laughs) And I'm like, that's exactly right. I I appreciate his logic. You know, be, be scripturally logical. You're going to kill a fellow and then bring God in on it every time. And then there's, so this this false doctrine's been around for a long time. Only you gray-headed folks know the movie (laughs) I'm talking about. And then there's the song, uh, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. Y'all remember that song? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be his holy name. We get into it, sing it. And then, uh, when we sing it here, we take out the bag, the, the wrong lyric, the unscriptural lyric, uh, cause it gets down in there and it says, he gives and takes away. He gives and takes a, uh, what? Where, where are you see that? And that's not a, that's not a theme of the Bible. He doesn't give blessing and then take it away. He doesn't dangle carrots and then trick you. He gives and takes away. Just because Job, an unsaved man who had no knowledge and no Holy Ghost, said it, that's not how you do it. Job even admitted at the end of Job, he said, I've uttered that which I did not understand. So just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's a doctrine. I mean, it says Judas hanged himself. That's not a doctrine. Some things are told as a true account and not a pertinent truth for you and I forever. So don't sing the give and take away part. And so I went to the song to make sure that was the exact lyric, and I found even more ridiculous lyrics. In that same song, when the darkness closes in, when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness, on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. What? Listen, you can be The reason that that gets by is because people can identify with suffering. People identify with Job. They're emotionally touched by sorrowful words. Just listen to country. Country. I mean, just listen to any music. But those things don't help people grow stronger in the Lord. Because we have Bible. Uh, For the Christian, there is light instead of darkness. When darkness closes in, not for me. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So the people singing this must not be saved. There's no dry desert. There's streams in the desert there's no dead wilderness Christians are not supposed to be in the wilderness have you ever heard that before well I'm just I've just been in a wilderness I've been in the wilderness for a season oh I just hope I can come out of this one day what are you you speaking of somehow we've glorified the wilderness you ever heard this raise your hand if you've heard the wilderness speech I'm just going. I think it's in the wilderness. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you why you're in the wilderness. There's only two reasons you'd be in the wilderness. There's only two wilderness examples in the Bible. The first is the children of Israel were commanded to go to the promised land from Egypt and they doubted God and disobeyed God. And God made them walk around the wilderness for 40 years because of their unbelief. So if you're in the wilderness, it's because of your unbelief. So stop saying that and get yourself into faith. You're going through a season of dryness and terrible, you're in trouble. You've put yourself in a place where the devil can eat your lunch. The only other wilderness spoken of is when Jesus decided to go, after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he went to the wilderness for 40 days fasting. But that wasn't a dry, desperate time. That was a time for him to get full of the Holy Ghost. And to get familiar with the Holy Spirit, it was a time for him to draw near to God. And he came off that mountain with great power. And he began to cast demons out and heal the sick. And he started his ministry after his wilderness season, which was only 40 days, by the way. So pick which wilderness you're talking about. Are you like fasting and praying and really getting close to God and good stuff happening? If so, you wouldn't be testifying as if it's a trial. So what Christians are talking about is their unbelief put them in a dry season. Glory. Good Okay, so let's talk about the God allows things. So, so we know he doesn't cause it, but he allows it. He's like the purposeful permitter of evil. No, it doesn't work that way. There's no plan in the things he permits. By and large, we can say that. Uh, here's, how, here's how we know. So not everything that happens has a cause or is it divinely allowed? I mean, he allows, by, by, by the flip of the switch of sin into the earth, he has to allow all sorts of weird stuff. Isn't that right? I mean, he, he allows you to think all the garbage you have thought of in your life. He's allowed you to say all the dumb things you've said. He didn't purposely allow that like, I have a divine reason for allowing you to talk like a, a rat. <laughs> I have a divine reason for you to sin like a sinner. I have a divine plan for this, so you just keep on doing what you want. That's my plan. No, you're going against his plan. So he has no reason to allow it except the fact that he has to allow sin. If you want it, he has to allow it. Amen. And this is why it's because Rather than cause bad things, rather than allow bad things, he is forced to allow bad things. By his own will, and his own word, and his own statements, and his own system that governs life, he is forced himself to allow bad things to happen. That's the nature of being omnipotent. In his omniscience and omnipotence, all-powerful, he can force himself to stop doing something couldn't he? Okay, he's omnipotent. But what he did is he set some guidelines even for himself that he will not break. And that's why he won't kill the devil. He's going to kill the devil. He he promised he would kill the devil, which you can't kill somebody where they they cease to exist. He's going to have to throw him in the lake of fire. He did promise he's going to do it, but he can't do it now. It would violate principle. And so here's what God can't do. God cannot lie. And this is what binds him to what he's already said, what's already been written, the principles and laws he's already set forth. One of those is the law of choice. The other is the law of faith. There's a law of faith that until that law is met, God can't enter and intervene in your life. You have to fully trust Fully be confident, fully call, in full assurance of faith. That's a law. And that in itself answers why so many prayers go unanswered. He cannot lie. Titus 1, 2 says God cannot lie. Hebrews 6, 18 says it's impossible for God to lie. Psalm 89, 34 says, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that's gone out of my lips. See, part of him being so omnipotent is as soon as it comes out of his mouth, it will never change. As soon as he says it, that's it. In sovereignty, it's not freedom to do anything. The person's nature dictates the limits of our freedom. And if the, the more in Christ you become, the less waywardness you'll do, because your nature dictates. Like some of you are so restrained, you'll never do one, two, three, four, five. Maybe you still do six, seven, but one, two, three, four, five, you will never do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then he gave us dominion over the earth. So when God said, have dominion over the earth, subdue the earth, replenish the earth, multiply in the earth, he was turning over full dominion to the human race. You and I have dominion in the earth. If it happens, it's because we made it happen. Now, if you partner with God, you'll get more happening. Praise the Lord. You can uh, look at the logic of a a little child as, Sometimes catches this smarter than, quicker than adults. Little child's running through the house and breaks all the little figurines on the thing. Mom and dad hear it and they come running in, and the little child is sitting there with all the broken pieces in their hand. God is sovereign. What happened? God is sovereign. This is his divine plan. Would parents buy that? Would parents allow God as sovereign to answer why the child broke all the stuff? No, they wouldn't. The child was clumsy. Didn't do what mom and dad said, or they were just accidentally clumsy. Maybe they didn't even purposely do it. They just accidentally did it. Tried to blame it on God. But then what happens when two cars collide accidentally? People want to bring God in on it every time. Don't do that. Don't do that. Adults get clumsy too. Don't bring God in on it. Yeah, but God loves me. Why would he let this happen to me? It's not, that's not how it works. It's, it's highly likely the Holy Spirit was trying to slow you down or stop you or help you delay or help you wait or help you turn. The more in tune with the Holy Spirit we are, uh, the more, tra- the more uh, a harm we can avoid. Really. I mean, the more I mean, I remember a story from one of our church members a long time ago. She said she was going to the grocery store and uh, pulled, and there was a spot right in the front. And she thought, wow, perfect, praise God. And then something on the inside of her uh, just stopped her from parking there. And she thought, why can't I park there? Huh. And then she drove and parked far away, walked in, did her shopping, came back out. And when she came back out, a wreck had occurred. And there was a cop and a car had smashed the car that was in that very spot. And she was so delighted to realize she had been led by the Holy Spirit. Just a simple little fender bender was avoided because the Holy Spirit, he knows everything. He's trying to help us. So the more in tune with him you are, the less harm you're going to see in your life. So it's not just a a button that you pushed and said, I'm a Christian and now everything good's going to happen to me. That's not really how it works. There's partnership with God. You've got to know the truth. You've got to believe the truth. You've got to get filled with the Holy Spirit. You've got to follow the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's all sorts of stuff. You've got to keep yourself from getting prideful about anything because yeah. pride goes before the fall. Humble yourself yeah. to God. Resist. He resists the. Pr- he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Like the proud will do a lot of talking and praying, and God's like, I, I, just, I, can't, I can't listen to you right now. I just can't listen to you right now. So you're on your own. He's not causing bad stuff. He's just, I, I, can't, I can't do it. You're not in the right spot. I just can't, I can't heed your prayer right now. You're not in the right spot. <clears throat> go to uh, No, go to John with me. Oh, these are fun. John. John chapter uh, 12 here. So the question is, uh, is God in control of everything in the earth? Because when they do surveys, that's one of the statements they make. Do you believe that God is the uh, omniscient, omnipotent, all-knowing creator of the universe who rules the world today? And the Christians, yep. And part of that's true, and in a sense it's all true, but on the other hand, that last part, that last phrase of the statement, is kind of misleading, isn't it? So he's, yes, he's all-knowing. He's, he's the creator of the universe. But does he rule the world today? No. And if he does, can you show me a scripture? I'm sorry I'm bringing the Bible into it. But if I, I don't, if I don't bring the Bible into it, I cannot be bold. But if I bring Scripture into it, I don't care what you think of me. It's not my opinion. John chapter 12 here. verse. Just a, uh, He's talking about something else, but he throws in a truth. Verse 30, Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Ruler of the world. Now that's not God, is it? Now Jesus has done certain things to the devil to give authority to us over the devil. But he has not yet broke his neck. Okay. There's coming a day when the devil's neck is totally broken, but it just hasn't happened yet. Now go to John 14. Verse 30, he says, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. And he's referring to the devil coming to kill him on the cross. He calls him the ruler of this world is coming and has nothing in me. Jesus called the devil the ruler of the world. So who is it? Is it God ruling the world or is it the devil ruling the world? Look at John 16. talking about the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he's going to convict the world of sin. Verse 9, of sin because they don't believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you don't see me anymore, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Who's the ruler of the world? Well, it's not God and it's not Jesus. It must be the devil. Okay, now listen, Jesus, once he rose from the dead, he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. You remember that? All power is given unto him in heaven and in earth. And so in the spirit realm, we have authority over the devil. Amen. Now, we can't collectively say a prayer and bind the devil up and change so he can't do anything else. It doesn't work that way. But in your personal life and in those who come to you for help, you can overcome the devil for them. Right. You can stop the devil from working in your life and you can cast demons out of people who need help. Right. All right, there's a certain amount of authority we have over the devil. Uh, and then one day he's gone. But right now, He's still ruling the earth and that's why listen that's why the systems of the world are corrupt Where should we start okay the school systems Oh corrupt Every school board Oh city governments Oh state governments Oh national governments Oh we keep praying and praying and wanting righteousness to reign. It's not going to reign while the devil is still ruler of the world. you, you got to understand this. There's a certain amount of influence we can have. We cannot take over and rule the world yet because the devil is still ruling the world's systems. Hollywood. Let's take over Hollywood. You can't. Now listen, we're going to get to rule the world. In the thousand-year reign of Christ, we will rule everything. That's when things change. That's when the kingdom of God is no longer just invisible, it becomes visible. Right now, the kingdom of God is within you. Don't look around for it. In the thousand year reign, when Christ comes back, we rule this whole world, we fix it all. But right now, the devil is still ruling the world systems. And the best we can do, we're not, we're not trying to overtake the world systems. You need to know that as a Christian, your goal and my goal is not to take over the world systems right now. It's to save people that are in those world systems and get Jesus in their life. That's our job. That's what we can do right now is influence them to God. People. Grassroots level people is what we're after. We're not after political order or national Mandate. No, we're after people.. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Good word. <clears throat> so that's why bad stuff still happens, because the devil's still the ruler of the world. He still walks about like a seeking whom he may devour. That's a principle. That's a truth, that's a scripture. He's looking, he's walking all over the earth freely, trying to find somebody's lunch to eat. Now, whose lunch can he eat? I'm glad you asked. Hosea four six. Hosea four six. Uh, so This is just one example of of what allows the devil entrance into your life. It could be pride. Pride will let let the devil in. Sin, unrepentant sin, lets the devil in. So instead of thinking, well, I've sinned and therefore God's gonna No, you've sinned and therefore you open the door to the devil. See, that's a different way to see it. It's the it's the other way, it's the scriptural way in the New Testament. Hosea 4, 6. My people are destroyed because of my sovereignty. My people are destroyed because I'm in control of everything. No. My people are destroyed because everything happens for a reason. No. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge will open the door to the devil. Simple as that. If you don't know godly things, the devil's going to eat your lunch. Yes. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Like you If you didn't know that pride causes God to not be able to listen, if you didn't know that, man, your pride's going to ruin your life. you got to stay humble so the devil can't sneak in. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You're supposed to resist the devil and he'll flee. You can't do it if you're in pride. Did you know? Like for, for lack of knowledge, people are, my people are destroyed for what they don't know. Did you know you're supposed to be filled with the Spirit? Many don't know that. They're trying to believe in God with all their heart, but they don't have the help of the Holy Spirit. They're not filled with power. They don't speak in tongues. They're not sensitive to his leading, and therefore they suffer. Did you know that Jesus himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Lots of churches don't preach that. They shy away from it. But the Bible says that he took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. We know he took our sins, but did he take our sicknesses too? If you don't know it, you'll have a hard time coming to him to be healed. Because Isaiah said, who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Well, it's revealed to the one who believes the report. So if you don't believe that he took your sins and sicknesses, it's going to be tougher to get healed. Did you know that he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him? And none of it was of God. Jesus healed no one that was made sick by God because God didn't make anybody sick. He healed all who were oppressed by the devil, and he left some sick that God wanted to stay sick. No, it doesn't say that at all. you got to let this stuff kind of hammer and drive out all that false stuff we've heard out there. Glory. Did you know, Hebrews eleven six 6, that without faith, it's impossible to please God? For he who comes to God must believe. That he is, and that he's a rewarder. Like, I'm going to get my answer if I diligently seek him. See, if you don't know that, you'll half-heartedly seek him. If you don't know that, you'll just pray and rehearse problems, and you won't ever have any faith. If you'll have some faith in God, faith in his word, faith in his person, faith in his nature, faith in how good he is, faith in the fact that he's your father, you can go to him, and he'll reward you. So, for lack of knowledge, people don't know and therefore they suffer. That's just one simple reason why bad things happen. It's just not a divine reason. <clears throat> Hallelujah. A uh, final, final, final scripture here. We'll just throw this one in for fun. Acts 27. Acts chapter 27. So, you know, we cover all these things, and then, you know, if people read the Bible, you need to read your Bible, and then all of a sudden, something's going to come. Something's going to hop out at you. It's like, oh, but what about this? Look at that. What is that? How do you fit this in all of the logic we've used so far? Well, that's pretty easy. This one's an easy one. This is when Paul was arrested. They were taking him on a ship to go to Rome, uh, and he had a word from God that the ship was going to. Uh, not make it. And it didn't make it. It was thrown upon the rocks, grounded on the rocks, and they had to they had to jump ship. All of them jumped ship. Uh, but they all swam to the nearest island called Malta. Or Milita. Chapter 28, verse 1. The land was called Malta, and the natives showed us unusual kindness. They kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling, and because of the cold. But when God had, had, uh, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, he laid them on the fire and a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice is not allowed to live, but he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but after they looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their mind said he was a god. <laughs> and the, the rest of the story is pretty cool too. A bunch of people, one person gets healed and everybody else comes and gets healed. Uh, typical. The people then typical, same people, humans are just humans. Something bad happens to people these days? God's punishing you. Isn't that what is? Up, oh. You must have done something. This man must be a murderer or something. God's, God's killing you. Was it God punishing him? Yep. Don't you think that happens a ton today? Yes. We look at it like you must have done something wrong. What are you doing? What's wrong with you? Don't do that, don't do that. Help them, help them. But you can't help somebody if you don't think God's for them. Amen. Like if God's punishing you, I'm standing back. If you're going through sickness and disease, I'm not praying. If God's punished you with sickness and disease, don't come up here. Wow. That's crazy. Why would I want to work against God? Wow. Whoa. The only reason I can pray for anybody that asks for it is because I know God's will. That's right. right. Wow. (laughs) The only reason Paul the apostle lived through that without any harm is because he knew God's will. Not for that one event, he knew God's nature. He knew God's word. Somehow. Some of the apostles must have shared with Paul Luke 10, 19. He knew Luke 10, 19. He knew Mark 16, 17, 18. He knew the Bible. They didn't have a Bible then, but he knew the scriptures. He knew God's will. Therefore, he knew he could shake the venom snake off and feel no harm. You can do the same. If you know God's will, you can shake off the evil. Luke 10:19 if you're wondering. Some of you are looking it up. You should be looking it up. If you don't know what Luke 10, 19, you should be looking it up right now. I'm not here playing games. I'm not here just to put on a show. I'm here to help you. You better be looking up Luke 10:19. Apparently, the pastor thinks it's important. Paul thought it was important. Behold, I give it you authority to trample over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you, not even a snake. And He must have known Mark 16, Jesus said, in my name they'll speak with tongues, they'll cast out demons, they'll take up serpents, and if they drink any poison, it won't hurt them. And if they lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. Apparently, Paul knew the truth. So if you and I know the truth, we can avoid a lot of suffering. And we certainly can stop blaming God. <clears throat> it's like my my Greek friend that I started in the ministry with he said we went, we went around everywhere and tried to help people get healed in all these churches and he was saying you don't have to be sick I'm here to talk you out of it some people get healed just by being talked out of it just talked, it, talked out of your stupid logic and your wrong thinking into right thinking and scriptural logic stand up please <clears throat> Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lift your hands to him. Let's thank him for being so good. So he is good. He really is good. He really is good. God, you really are good. You really are good, God. Thanks for your mercy. Thanks for being slow to anger. Thanks, Lord, for your tender mercies over all your works. Thanks for being so gracious to us. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you for joining Pastors Chaz and Joni today from Houston Faith Church. If you're looking for a good home church in Houston, Texas, we'd like to invite you to be our guest anytime. What you'll find is that Houston Faith Church is highly committed to the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit-filled life and ministry that Jesus expects. We know that everyone wants to make a difference in this life and that the Great Commission of the Lord Jesus Christ is the main thing for all of us. You'll find your purpose here and grow strong in faith at Houston Faith Church. Find more faith-building resources on our YouTube channel or subscribe to our free audio podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon!